1: Today on the Zabecast, you think getting ripped off on expensive jewelry is something only rock-headed NFL linebackers do? Well, think again why Drew Brees is even dumber than Le'Veon Bell. The Raptors have a kill shot tonight in hand, but will Durant save the day? All that plus Andy Poland and my top ten all-time fan interactions in sports. Gone bad. Your digital dose of me is ready to go, so buckle up and here we go. Here we go! Monday, June 10th, 2019. Oh, smell the bright early morning of a 4 a.m. Monday morning commuter Zabecast release. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Andy Paulin will join us here in just a minute. But first, saw this uh, tweet from one Bill Simmons. The sports guy, Bill Simmons. Boston raised... Now in LA, major Hollywood star in the pop culture himself. Okay, minor, not a Hollywood star. He's still, he's somebody. I mean, it's a hell of a story. I'm, I'm envious, but I respect what he did. So, Bill Simmons tweeted out an LA Times story under the heading of Good Peace About the Homelessness Crisis in LA, and it's a crisis. It's a long piece by the L.A. Times about what a shithole L.A. is quickly becoming. The net net of it is the the city of Los Angeles spent six hundred million dollars over, if not the last year alone, at least over the last couple of years to try to chip away at and try to get their arms around a growing homeless crisis. Guess what? They just got the numbers back in from the most recent survey. Homelessness has gone up like 16% from the last time they threw a half a billion dollars plus at the problem. Whoops. There are trash heaps piling up in LA, tent cities all over the place, people walking around half naked, fully naked, urinating, defecating in places. It's bad. So bad that Bill Simmons, the, Housing advocate tweeted out as, "Oh, oh, that was a cheap shot, wasn't it?" Somebody replied to Simmons. I really feel like homelessness is having a moment right now. I have it was my I have it as one of my top seventeen social problems of all time. It reminds me of the time Rowdy Roddy Piper hit Jimmy Snooker with that coconut about how serious this is. Well done, you twisted it into a Bill Simmons wrestling take. Someone else, I'm sure, probably deeper in the comments, I didn't go that far, <laughs> probably tweaked them about, where does this fit in your Ewing theory when it comes to homelessness? Look, I am not an expert on the homeless, uh, not in the least. But I read the story, and I kept I kept doing this. I kept saying, wait a minute, there's some information, there's more information I want about this, and I'm now several pages deep, and I still have got, have not gotten it. The story didn't really tell me who, who these people were. The breakup, the the breakdown, I should say, the percentages of, okay, how many of the homeless are mentally ill and their families don't want to deal with them, can't deal with them, they're out on the street? What percentage of them are chronic drug users? What percentage of them are illegal aliens? Yes, very politically incorrect term to use, but... How many of them uh, have, are in the country illegally, and they can't afford to live in L.A.? They've got no documentation to get uh, to to rent a house, an apartment, uh, to buy anything. What percentage is that? What has increased? What what's been the main driver? Like, who are these people? Are there is there a significant number of hardworking lower class to lower middle class families who just can't afford it anymore in L.A. rents too damn high, and they're living out of a car, or they live they're living in a the proverbial van down by the river. I was looking for the, okay, who are these people? Because you really can't address the problem until you get a handle on, well, who the, who are these people? And I know it's easy, and a lot of people took this shot, to say, well, <laughs> Democrat-controlled L.A., Democrat-dominated California, and then point to the problem, similar problems in Seattle, same thing, similar problems uh, in San Francisco, same thing. It's easy, but it's not exactly... A great argument because uh, I don't know if the Republicans are any great geniuses about handling homelessness. And even if they did have some ideas about, well, we got to stop doing this, we got to stop doing that, we got to do this, got to do that, we got to take a hard line on this, we got to sweep up camp, you know, 10 cities, we got to crack down on immigration. I'm not sure there are Republicans that are willing to do that these days. So what are we going to do? I mean, you don't want LA turning into a shithole. I mean, the traffic's bad enough, the taxes are high enough, it's crowded as all fuck. You don't want it turning into a shithole. you got to get your arms around this. But I'd like to know more about, well, you know, the first thing you have to do is figure out who are these people. And and, and once we find out who they are, we got to figure out what to do. And at some point, if you're a legitimate, if you're an American citizen, legal citizen, and you can't afford to live in L.A., and you work a job, and you're out on the streets, you have to move. I Sorry, you're going to have to move. Bottom line, some places are too goddamn expensive for people to live in. It's just that simple. And if it is a lot of illegal aliens, which, <laughs> if I had to guess, it probably is a decent amount, you have to figure out what to do with that. And unfortunately, cities like L.A. and San Francisco have been actively battling the federal government and ICE about deporting illegal aliens. So that's not going to help your homeless situation. Also, a number of companies, a number of uh, trash companies have figured out, hey, there's no law in Deadwood, so let's just go dump our trash in the middle of the night. We'll get a big trash truck full, and instead of paying some, you know, uh, a landfill, whatever it is, per ton of garbage oh, I got a better business plan. Let's go to this part of town that's already turned into a shithole where there's no law and there's 10 cities on the sidewalk and let's just dump our trash. Who's going to stop us? That's where the city's got to come in and say, we're cracking down on this. We're going to put up cameras. We're going to put more cops out there. And when we find you dumping dump trucks of trash, your ass is ours. We're going to fucking throw the book at you. Write new stricter laws. Put assholes in jail jail for a long time, if that's what it takes. But... We're not a homelessness podcast. We're not a civics podcast. Uh, I know that some of you will say, stop talking politics. This is not politics. This is civics. Besides, Bill Simmons, the sports guy, tweeted it, and he wanted me to read this piece. And he said it's a crisis. So I did. I read the piece. I'd like to know more. But with that, we move on to sports. Let's see what Andrew Poland is doing tonight on a rainy Sunday night in the DMV. I know I'm cutting into your Stanley Cup finals time because you like to watch. I am watching. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that is an absolute first for a man in Andy Pollan who would love to watch our team play. But once they were out, usually in the first round in springtime, Andy was like, okay, that'll be it for hockey for me.
0: Yep, check it out.
1: But now now this is great. So we're opening the the door just a little bit on your hockey fandom.
0: Well, I think also it's cool because the Blues have never won one. So they're kind of like the Caps last year. Only, they've been around longer. They came in 1967, so yeah, longer wait.
1: Who do you know in St. Louis or from uh, St. Louis? I know
0: Al Koken, uh, who's yeah. from St. Louis.
1: That's my and one St. Louis contact that I can think of.
0: Yeah. Um, have you well, been, been to, to St. St. Louis? You have? Yeah, I have.
1: Uh, what did uh-huh. you do there? And when When were you there?
0: Uh, a couple times. Uh, once uh, my wife's friend lived there and we visited for a weekend. That's over what time 30 of year? years ago. Uh, fall, as a matter of fact. Okay. And um, saw the Arch and went to you know, a restaurant and hung out. You know, that kind of thing you do as young couples without kids. <laughs> and uh, You went
1: places <laughs> and did things. You know, young yeah, people yeah, stuff. exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, is there one other time uh, visiting uh, somebody else who's there temporarily? But, no, I don't have any real connections.
1: I've never been, although I get the sense that St. Louisians, if that's is how you say it, or St. Louisans, mm-hmm. are very provincial, that they are yeah. very defending of their town. And I think mm-hmm. rightly so. I mean, the, I, I love the people in the Midwest. They're They're great people. People from St. Louis seem to be... Good folks. But the one thing that rubs some people the wrong way about St. Louis sports fans is the whole Cardinal fan thing where they Mm -hmm. are they, they position themselves and they cloak themselves, Andy, in being the smartest baseball fans in the game.
0: Well, that comes from Tony La Russa, who was celebrated by people like George Will as being a genius. So, you know, they've kind of glommed onto that, but it's also an odd town in that, uh, in the Midwest where football is so big is that they spit out two football teams and they love their baseball team.
1: That is weird. And I, I think there's got to be a little bit of a wound from having coughed up a football team twice. Because as much as you might say, it's the NFL, we're smarter than that. We love our baseball team and we love our hockey team. And sure. We had an NBA team, but that, that sports for rubes. We love what we love here. You're a city that said no to professional football twice. That's gotta hurt a little bit. I
0: think. Well, the first time it was, you know, Bill Bidwell, who was a bad owner and he was shopping his team around. Right. Second time around, uh, Stan Kroenke, uh, you know they had support there. The, the but they dome that a, they built, yeah, with, they
1: wanted a new stadium. Bottom line, yeah. But talk and, about and having he, a team, had, yeah. Talk about having a team you get behind, though. The greatest yeah. show on turf, and Kurt Warner, one of the most likable star quarterbacks ever. So to get a reboot with, and of course Dick Vermeil, who won the first yep. Super Bowl, uh, or won the the only Super Bowl that they won. You couldn't yeah. have asked for better conditions, all things considered, for a reboot of football in St. Louis, Andy, and it failed.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, part of it's Stan Kroenke, who decided he was going to move the team to Los Angeles after the NFL basically said, no, you're not moving them. And he said, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And,
1: <laughs> He's like, no, and watch then, me.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then they said, well, if you move them, we're going to charge you a half a billion dollars, but you'll have 10 years to pay it out. And he said, no. I'll write you a check.
1: <laughs> is that was that the relocation fee five hundred million?
0: Yeah, they said they said if you're going to move the team to Los Angeles, it's going to be five hundred million dollars. Now Cronky had money of his own, and he married into the Walmart family, so <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a big deal.
1: <laughs> and they told him, okay, this is going to hurt, but we're going to yeah. let you pay it off ahead, over it. over ten years. And he stops in mid sentence. He goes, no, no, who do I make this out to? <laughs> where does this no, check I mean, it, go to? It was like,
0: well, first of all, it, it, they had a they had a plan in place where you were going to have the Chargers and the Raiders uh, share a stadium. And Cronky says uh, that's not what I really want. And Jerry Jones encouraged them. Well, if that's what you want. Go ahead and do it. And so he <laughs> went and built his own stadium.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a uh, I'm all for St. Louis winning it. Number one, it would prevent you
0: need to smack your phone again. There we go. Uh,
1: number one, it would be uh, it would prevent Boston. From winning a championship.
0: Your phone is... is ah, God
1: damn, this phone is the worst. I'm literally shaking the phone right now. Is this any better, Andy? Is this any better?
0: Yeah, yeah this is better
1: now. Go ahead. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I actually shook the phone like last time. I, that that can't possibly work, can it? It did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, Um. so I'm all for St. Louis winning it because A, I know their fans have suffered long and hard as we did uh, with the caps. And secondly, it would prevent Boston from having another gosh darn parade, which they don't need. The last thing they need.
0: My, my, my son who worked in Boston for a few years, sent me a a link about a kid who's, I think last year was 17 years old and had attended his 11th parade. Enough with the duck boats. Stop already.
1: That is insane. A 17 year old kid who's been to 11 parades. Unreal. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Enough. All right. So uh, you know, while we're on hockey, just to close out the category, you know, this has been a week of hey, one year ago the Caps won the Stanley Cup, and then I see in my Twitter timeline today, oh, one year ago Ovi did a keg stand down on the Georgetown <laughs> waterfront, and it got me to thinking, Andy, are we going to do this all summer long with the one year ago's?
0: Yeah. Well, the, the celebration was unlike any other, and if I'm not mistaken, that keg stand took place after one of the great performances by a team celebrating winning a cup at a Nats game. Do you remember when they went to the oh, Nats yeah. game? And the plan was that, you know, they were going to throw out the first ball and then go up to a box and watch a couple innings and then leave. Well, they were having such a good time. They stayed the whole game. Right. And they, they kept showing shots of them sitting there as the Budweiser cans got higher and higher and higher. They just sat there all game and drank and drank and drank and then went down to Georgetown and did their thing down there. The celebration was beyond belief.
1: It was, uh, it was a roving party where you could literally just bump into any number of capitals, including the captain, Ovi. Uh, right there, you know, at a bar wherever. And so I'm okay with remembering it one year later, but I'm worried that, you know, the internet's going to overdo it the next couple of days, every little damn thing for the rest of the summer. (laughs) I'd like to win another one. So let's get cracking on that. Okay. Let's turn our attention to this fan incident in golden state. I did not talk to you since that happened. Right.
0: Stevens is the name. Mark
1: Stevens. What is your, what is your quarter in the jukebox take? On the whole thing,
0: well, I think Adam Silver did the right thing, came down on him hard. Uh, and I do think he's going to be pressured to to sell his shares. He you know, look, there's uh, what what Adam Silver did, was say to a guy, I don't care how much money you have, you can't do that. And I guess it was kind of inevitable that it would ramp up to this. It starts with Jack Nicholson, you know, being Mr. Laker sitting courtside, and then more beautiful people join him there. And then Spike Lee takes it to another level, getting into it with Reggie Miller. And now we got a guy who thinks he's like, you know, I don't know what, like it's wrestling and he, and he thinks he can do whatever the hell he wants. No, you, you can't encourage that kind of behavior. You got to come down hard on it.
1: That said, it was one of the tamer fan interactions that was blown up to the moon that sports has ever seen. I have for you, Andy, my unofficial, poorly sorted top 10 fan interactions in sports history. You ready? Okay. Number yep. Number 10 i lumped all these together in golf. There was the guy that dressed up as the Birdman and got in front of the microphone of Mike Davis of the USGA at the US Open during the presentation of the trophy out in San Francisco. There's been streakers at the British Open before. There's photographs of them, naked guys with 19th hole painted on their ass with an arrow mm-hmm. pointing down. Uh, and, and so, and there was the security guard, not a fan, but a security guard who almost wiped out Tiger Woods this past spring on route to his historic masters. Okay. There we go. Yep. Number nine. Didn't Mike Curtis in the NFL once waylay a fan who came on the field?
0: Absolutely. And the guy came and tried to steal the football and Curtis just clotheslined him. I mean, it was a great hit.
1: Uh, Number eight, the two drunken goons who attacked the first base umpire at a White Sox game.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, was was it the, uh, no, it was the, wasn't it the base coach? I thought it was the base coach. You're right, it was the base coach. It
1: It was not the umpire, but it was the base coach. Gamboa, I want to say?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the base coach for the Royals, I believe.
1: Two drunken, white trash fans who got... It was
0: father's son, too, yeah, as it we approach Father's Day.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And 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 whatever time they spent in jail was not enough. I would have tripled it. Number right. seven, all-time fan interactions in sports. And maybe this should be ranked higher. The dude at the Preakness, Andy, who yeah. ran out onto the track stood right. stock still square feet and tried to punch one of the horses coming at him.
0: I I remember that. I remember that's probably 15 years ago, maybe more. But uh <laughs> it was crazy. I, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah.
1: All right. Number 6. Fan interactions all time in sports. Rick Monday tackles yeah. a fan who was trying to light an American flag on fire in right field at Dodger Stadium.
0: Yeah, 1976, and uh, I think, was Monday playing for the Cubs, or was he playing for the Dodgers then? I can't it might remember. Have been
1: Cubs, or, or nah, it might yeah, have been Dodgers, but it, it was Rick Monday, if I recall correctly.
0: Yeah, Rick Monday is correct, but yes, he, he ran on, he saw what was happening, and he took the flag away uh, as they were about to light it, or did light it. And uh, yeah, that got, that was a bicentennial year, so the flag yeah, thing was fake. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Number five. Reti- or unemployed lathe worker Gunther Parch stabs Monica Sellis, tennis star, square in the back while she's sitting during a changeover at, I believe, the French Open.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a steak knife, and his, his goal, he actually achieved his goal because Monica Sellis was good, and this kook wanted Steffi Graf the German to be number one.
1: The German front line,
0: yeah. yeah. So so he said, well, I'll just eliminate the competition. I will literally stab her in the back. And Monica Stelz went through a lot of emotional problems because of that. And Steffi Graf did, in fact, establish herself as number one. As I understand it, he was never formally charged with anything. He
1: got away That's with it. That's insane. Yeah. How could he uh, <laughs> not charged with anything? Holy shit. Yeah. I got to look that one up. Number four, yeah. all-time fan interactions. In sports history, fan man, the boxing match where the guy flew in on a on a fan-propelled parachute.
0: Yeah, it was a Holyfield and um, not Buster. Lennox Lewis. Riddick Bow. Riddick Bow. Yeah, Holyfield Bow, and it was the second fight, I believe, and there was a long delay there, and then the guy pretended he was paralyzed. So they had to drag him out of there. This was an out, he,
1: this was an outdoor fight in Las Vegas on a cool right. enough night, I guess, that it was considered okay to box. And they had look like in the parking lot of Caesars Palace, this guy flies in on a self powered parachute, not self powered, but it had a big backpack fan that was gasoline powered, and he comes crashing right into the fucking ring.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then he, he ultimately he killed himself and then ESPN did like this 10, 15 minute feature. It was like a mini this.
1: thirty for thirty on the guy, and it was fascinating, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, but 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 you know why glamorize was,
1: why glamorize mental patients like that? I don't know. Yeah,
0: I guess I you know uh, anyway. Yeah, that number, was bad. Number
1: number three all time fan sports interactions: the malice at the palace.
0: Oh, I just saw a Showtime
1: on Ron Artest.
0: Yeah, documentary about Ron Artest, and here's something I didn't know. I mean, that doesn't defend what Artest did going in the stands, and he should have been suspended for the rest of the year. But as you know, he had mental issues oh, yeah. and had, had been seeing a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said to him, when you're in a stressful situation, find a place where you can decompress. So that's why he laid down on the scorer's table, because all this was going on, and he figured that would be a good place where he could breathe in and out. then some jackass from the stands threw a soda on him, and that's what set him off and, you know, ultimately (laughs) led to to fans fighting players, which was really bizarre.
1: I heard that that documentary was way too sympathetic on the players. Well, it was
0: sympathetic and it was long too. It was very long, but it 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 was it was one of those things. You know, a lot of players have had trouble with drugs and alcohol. This was one of the only ones I've ever seen that dealt with you know real mental issues. Uh, there have been others who have, who've had those kind of problems. Jimmy Pearsall famously uh, had some mental issues when he was a baseball player. But uh, I thought that you know it took an angle that I hadn't really seen before.
1: Number two on my all-time fan interactions list in sports history the Boston Bruins and Mike Milbury go into the stands with their skates on to fight Ranger fans and to take their own shoes off their feet and beat them over the heads.
0: Yeah, those those were different days in hockey.
1: (laughs) Every time I see that clip, I say to myself, that happened. That really happened. That was not that was not a movie that, re- like, how the fuck? Apparently, they raised the height of the glass along the dasher yeah. boards because of it.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it was When I was covering some hockey, there was a, a network that lasted one year called Sports News Network. Yes. Produced among other people, Kirk Medefi. And I did a lot of games for them. I was working in New York at radio then, and I covered a lot of games for them. And I covered Ranger playoff games. And the press area was right behind the blue seats. And the words that would come out of the mouths of those who sat in the blue seats, I mean, oh
1: my God. It it was something else. And the number one on my top ten list of poorly sorted, not totally researched fan interactions in sports history, the legend of Ty Cobb, the Georgia peach, who once went into the stands to beat a man savagely when was told by a teammate, Ty, Ty, go easy on him, he ain't got no hands because apparently he wasn't clapping for Ty Cobb, and that's why he was mad. Ty Cobb's yeah. response was, I don't care if he ain't got no feet, and continue yep. the beating. Yep. That's yep. the yep. legend. Yep. I- I've had people say to me that the legend of Ty Cobb as this savage racist, and a guy who did all this is exaggerated and not fully supported by the history. I don't know. All I know is yeah. it's the best sports fan story I can ever think of, so I'm going to keep going with it until it's further disproven. Yeah, well, any I, that I, I missed? No... Any that I missed on my list? Um, off the top of your fan head, fan I- interactions. interactions in sports. Because after that list, you realize what Mark Stevens did to Kyle Lowry really was infinitesimal in the big scheme of things.
0: But given who he is, oh, I know. A, I'm, I, know I know he's stupid. Yeah, he, as,
1: a, as, a, as a part owner, he should have yeah, known. He
0: also was was, was cursing. They said right. quite. Big. Quite badly. So he, he did not behave himself well. Uh, you know, I mean, you could talk about these guys. Like, I was the Super Bowl that was played in Houston between Carolina and New England. There's a streaker uh, there. One of the referees that lined up was a streaker. Remember he ripped off his, his uh, striped shirt and, <laughs> yes. and streaked around the field? I exactly. saw that live. I was there.
1: <laughs> he crashed the game by posing as a referee. Go figure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the NBA Finals, Game 5 is uh, tomorrow night. Uh, they have <laughs> for the first time all series, I heard this on Friday after they lost game four. Old uh, Brian Windhorse dared to <clears throat> conflate uh, good old Kevin Durant's injury with an Achilles. First time I heard anyone on the national media say it, I've been saying it for weeks now that this is a bullshit injury. It's not a calf injury. It's something with the, with his Achilles. And Windhorse is like, well, you know, whenever you have problems with a calf, can sometimes mm-hmm. affect your Achilles. And I'm like, bullshit. So today, Sunday, they had Durant work out and they right. made sure to kick the media out. Mm. What do you make of that? How about that, Mr. Fung, as we like to say?
0: Yeah, well, I, I don't think I don't think he can play. And I think he is seriously hurt. And I think the only thing that they've got going is to keep Toronto guessing. But I don't think he's able to go. You know, when I saw the injury and then I heard, yeah, it wasn't Achilles. Okay, great. It's calf. I thought of Phil Sims. You know, when Phil Sims got hurt the year that Jeff Hostetler won the Super Bowl, that's what it was. It was a calf injury. And it happened with a, yeah, it happened with about two or three weeks to go in the regular season.
1: How did Sims injure it?
0: Uh, I, I think it may have been the same way, you know, just, just, you know, not even a contact injury. And he, uh, he was not able to play the rest of the season. And there was some of that, oh, he might be back, you know, and if they get to the Super Bowl, he might be able to play. And no, he, he was out for the rest of the year. And he later said, once it happened, he knew he was done. So the other part of it is Durant's about to become a free agent. Is he going to risk tearing his Achilles if, in fact, this is an injury that could lead to that? No. And also, something I didn't really even think of until I saw a tweet from Sage Steele tonight, he hasn't been seen on the bench in any of the games, right? Have you seen any shots from him been with his teammates?
1: No, he's been in the tunnel, and he's been seen with ice on his lower leg well below the calf, which is also very suspicious. I don't know why, Andy, and this is what I'm trying to figure out, why are the Warriors trying so hard to sell us this notion because the notion that you can't let reporters watch Durant do a light shoot around, but he's going to play effectively in a closeout game on the road. Get the fuck out of here. He's not ready to yeah. play. They're treating us like idiots. Why? What's be, their game?
0: Well, be, because that's, that's all, that's all you've got to, to, to That's do only think,
1: use. Do you think Nick nurse is spending any time preparing a Kevin Durant included game plan?
0: No, I don't think so. And I, somebody did on uh, one of them. It might have been uh, the Ringer. They did a very good piece on uh, the adjustments that they've done and how they've handled Steph Curry with a box and one. Oh yeah. And basically, worn him out, you know, in various parts of the court. Nurse, you know, when he was first hired, he go, "Ah, Nick Nurse, that's a funny name." And then it turns out he's a pretty good coach. He's got really a very,
1: he's got a very interesting backstory as well. Uh, I was reading about yeah. that. He guess he wrote some book called the Black Book of Shooting. Interesting yeah, guys. Interesting guys. So assuming Toronto wins game five, and I'm just going to assume that, and the Warriors dynasty comes flying apart. What do you predict is going to happen?
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure Durant is going to leave. Um
1: where do you think, think he's that, going?
0: Um I kind of think he's going to go to the Knicks. Wow. Yeah. Do you I know think, I
1: think that do you know how I mean you know this. He ain't fit for the New York media.
0: Oh, I know. He's very sensitive. But that's not how these guys think. You know, oh, they won't be able to bother me. And then once they get there, the the famous line from Bobby Bonilla, who we actually interviewed and, and kind of liked, right? Yep. When Bobby Bonilla, remember when Bobby Bonilla was with Pittsburgh, there was no better guy to deal with. Oh, I remember yeah. talking to him as, as a reporter and, and I talked to guys I knew who were in baseball, like Gary Cohen, who now does the Mets on TV, and Howie Rose, who does the Mets on radio. And they both said to me, oh, if you're looking for somebody to talk to with the Pirates, go talk to Bobby Benilla. He's the best. Benilla comes to New York, and he says, you're not going to wipe this smile off my face. By the time he was there, six months, oh, my God. It was people were throwing batteries at him to the point where he wore a helmet in the outfield, and then of course you remember the the line that we the the tape that we always played with him threatening Bob Clapich to take him to the Bronx. Yeah, New I York, mean, It unraveled
1: quickly. New York Daily News beat reporter Bob or columnist maybe Bob Clapich covered yeah, baseball, a, and yeah. and I guess Bonilla in a slump, was sick of Clapich's digging about some something or another. And he, yep. he he swoles up and sort of towers over him and tries to intimidate him. He's like, go ahead, Bobby, make your move, yeah. make your All move. Right. I'll show you the Bronx. And he was just yeah. this big idiot bully ball player who you're like, who the fuck is this asshole? Of course, like you said, he was very engaging when we interviewed him uh, during that Nats fan fest.
0: Yeah, I mean he's out of baseball at that point. And then, yeah. of course he's getting a million dollars a year from the Mets for doing nothing for the rest of his life. But when does that payment
1: know, hit every summer? Is it around Fourth of July?
0: Something like that, and it's it's one point one million. I think he's still going to get it up through twenty thirty five or some crazy year like that. I mean he's he's well set.
1: But I've heard though that I've heard I've, I've read pieces from accountants saying he actually that, that's not a great deal. That the deal he struck yeah. sounds great but if he had just taken all the money up front and made conservative legitimate investments he would have come out ahead that's what they say. Yeah. i don't know yeah it'd be yeah. nice to get a million dollars every year for doing nothing just like
0: yeah I, I would i wouldn't feel bad about the deal i made if
1: somebody was writing me a check for that every year hell when i get 100 dollars from my mom and dad every year for my birthday <laughs> i feel like that's yeah. the greatest thing oh 100 dollars thank you <laughs> mom and dad that's so great uh <sighs> did we talk about trent williams or did that
0: Uh, a little bit i'll tell you we we talked about it when we were speculating it was only the contract the medical issue had not yet entered the mix oh
1: shit so now where do we stand because trent has not been heard from since this blew up last week and that i think speaks volumes
0: Right, and also you've got Bruce Allen, the king of lies, who says, oh, I know what the truth is. Meantime, you got Jay Gruden, who cannot tell a lie, who's basically told you that the medical staff didn't do its due diligence and he was frustrated by the timing of this. So because, delaying of a, and,
1: because of a growth on his head.
0: Yeah. I mean, now, it, which it, is it, not it,
1: a football it, injury. Here's what I don't understand, Andy. Yes, these guys have access to the team's doctors free of charge or at least as part of their, you know, employment with the team. But they're mm-hmm. private citizens. They can go see Vinnie Boombat's director of head right. bumpology anytime they want for a second opinion. So if, yeah, they can. if, if Trent's really upset because the, the team's football doctors didn't diagnose the pimple on his head correctly, I kind of don't have a lot of sympathy.
0: Yeah, except that I think what happens during the course of a season is there's incredible pressure to play uh, right. from your teammates, uh, from the way you're wired. So if there is a team doctor who gives you any shred of hope that you can keep playing, you're going to go with it. Then he gets to the off season, and either he saw another doctor or the same ones and they go, oh, this is really serious. This could cost you your life, certainly a year. Then he's like, whoa, why didn't somebody say something to me during the season? So, is that uh meanwhile, contract
1: two. Yeah. Meanwhile, in terms of leverage, with a rookie quarterback oh. uh in the fold and with a left guard in uh Eric Flowers, who is the proverbial folding chair in terms of effectiveness blocking people, right. there has never been this much leverage that a guy is now willing to exercise. It's akin, Andy, to when a big tough guy grabs some little wimp's finger and then twists it backwards behind his, his back and his arm is back. He's like, ah, ah, like Jay Gruden is like, Ooh, ah, Ooh, please, please don't do this. I mean, Trent is leveraging it. My only question yeah. to you is does a deescalate? Do they throw money at it? And does Trent Williams start the season at left tackle for the Washington Redskins?
0: Yes, he'll start the season at left tackle for the Redskins. I, I think there could be still some bad blood, but I think what he's doing is he's standing over in the corner. He's got a toothpick in his mouth, and he says to Snyder, hey, "I see you got that, that shiny new quarterback there. Uh, you thought about how you're going to protect him? Oh, you, you, you got a guy who was cut by Jacksonville and cut by the Giants, and who stinks? Is that, oh, you're going to do that?"
1: that is a great visual Andy I can see it right now like let's say so so Snyder is like the guy that has a brand new car and he's walking into work at where the building where he works and he's whistling to and he's all happy as he's walking in the vestibule some guy suddenly leaning against the wall with one leg up against the wall with a toothpick says hey buddy (laughs) notice you got a shiny car out there boy it'd be a real shame if somebody parked too close to it and put a big old scratch in it wouldn't it right and, yeah. and Snyder's like whoa what, what do you mean what do you mean by that where where'd you come yeah. from
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I'm sure you know snyder's rubbing his hands together as they're drafting askins and saying we got him and of course we got the best left tackle in the league so he's going to be protected oh yeah do you
1: <laughs> I think the problem is this Andy. this offensive line is just fair when fully healthy and i think that there's going to be injuries and the line is going to quickly go to shit this year and i think haskins if he plays will be running for his life
0: well also i mean brandon sheriff i guess he's is he signed or is he not signed whatever it is he's also coming off a major shoulder injury right and I know Jim Lachey a bit, remember him as a player, and that's what ended his career. The shoulder. If you can't push, you can't play offensive line in the league right now. And that, you know, whether he comes back, he's a very good guard. He's got to be able to play. They really have never addressed the left guard issue. Uh, and you know, as far as left tackle goes, I mean, even if Trent's there, he hasn't played a full season since 2013 and he's one toke away from a full season suspension.
1: Yeah. I, I'm almost to the mindset of, you know, trade him if you yeah, could trade him, but I don't know what you'd get. Yeah. I don't know what you would get. I don't know if you're worth well, it. And, and then, and we, then you're really throwing your season completely to the wolves if that happens.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true, unless you can find somebody who can play left tackle. But, you know, there's also the discussion of Donald Penn, who was cut by the Raiders. He's 36 years old, oh my God. but, you know, maybe he's a Band-Aid. I don't know.
1: You know what, Andy? You and I know this. Every football fan knows this. It's the second-hardest position of staff on the entire field left tackle probably so second toughest right behind quarterback and the Redskins have a pro bowler in Trent unfortunately he's been injured a lot and he had some weird bump on his head and thank god I wasn't cancerous Uh, but I wish he had gotten a better consult from the team docs uh, so they wouldn't be in the state right now couple things real quick quick hitters here Uh, did you see the story about Le'Veon Bell and his half million dollars worth of stolen jewelry
0: Yes, I did, and he came home from lifting weights, and, and the two women identified as his Girlfriends! girlfriends. And the jewelry were gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as I said on the radio, and I'll say it again here, I don't mind how much money any of these guys make. It drives me fucking crazy when they waste it, though. It drives me nuts when they fritter it away. I don't know why that is, because, look, they earn the money, they should be able to spend it, waste it, or let a couple Instagram hoes run off with it but that is the part that drives me nuts to see him yeah. squander it like that $500,000 jewelry now that wasn't even the biggest jewelry fuck up in the news this week in the NFL did you see Drew Brees is it took yes. this Drew Brees you know smart White quarterback, face of the franchise, face of the league, really. You know, you'd know, you think he wouldn't do some dumb shit over bling, bling, bling. Wrong. Drew Brees took the stand in a case in which he bought $15 million worth of jewelry, had it yeah. appraised, and it turns out it was only worth $7 million. So he is dumber than Le'Veon Bell by a factor of 10 because he didn't even get pussy out of this. He just got what? someone rob him of $7 million. <laughs> Well, how dumb you know, are these he, guys, Andy?
0: It just, it just seems to me, no matter how much money you have, before you stroke a check for fifteen million dollars, yes. that you have it carefully appraised. I, you know, I, I, fifteen million dollars is not hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's
1: that's a real good money.
0: Portion of a year's salary for him.
1: That's right? real money exactly. And and I don't know much about the jewelry game, although I'll talk to my boy Ronnie Mervis about it. My understanding is that, you know, valuations of rare gems can vary greatly depending on who you ask.
0: Oh, and I think the markup is 100%.
1: Right. But even just the valuation, I think it comes down to, you know, you get a guy with one of those uh, diamond eyeglasses – and he's looking for right. tiny imperfections. And he's judging it on its clarity and symmetry and everything else. And, you, you know, it's only worth as much as someone else is willing to pay for it. What Bree should have done is he should have shut his yap and found another NFL player dumb enough to buy it for $16 million. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's it's the greater fool theory that you know you're not gonna win. Yeah. Maybe he'll win this case in court. I don't know how are you gonna get seven million dollars from a shyster that sold you stones that weren't nearly worth as much as you thought they were. He would have been better, better off pretending like, oh yeah, these are definitely worth fifteen million, and then yeah. go find some idiot NFL player to take him off his hands for sixteen. Done and done. Well, I
0: mean, even you know I, I watch Pawn Stars, as you know.
1: Uh, uh, even do you still watch it, that?
0: Yeah, even Chumley will say, uh, I don't really know what that's worth. Let me call in an expert. If you're Drew Brees, don't you say, uh, $15 million. That seems like a steep price. Let me bring somebody in who knows something about jewelry.
1: You know what else they say on that show a lot is, "Eh, you know, it's it's a cool piece. Uh, Obviously, it's very personal to you, but I don't know. I'd probably just sit around my shop for a while. I, I don't know if there's much of a market for it. They always use that line. Yeah, so you do watch it. Don't tell me you don't watch that show. (laughs) Right. This is Harrison Ford's lightsaber. You're telling me nobody would want this. Well, I don't know. I mean, how many people are Star Wars fans anymore? Right. All right, I got two feeling olds for you, then we'll get out of here. Feeling old number one, Richard Vitale turned 80 on Sunday. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Tom Levero said this today on the air. He said, If you really want to know about Vital, dig up some old tapes when he first started at ESPN. (laughs) He sounds nothing like he does now. All he does is Vital. He used to actually do some basketball analysis. Sure. He doesn't do it anymore. It's just, you know. And they they employ him. I mean, I I think he did a lot for the game. I think he's very important to the development of ESPN, but... To still have him on the air doing games is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and they don't have him on the best games anymore. He Oh, didn't really liked that. Either. He resented about five years ago when Billis was pushed into his chair as the lead analyst, but they had to do it. Yeah. Had to do it. Yeah. And then the second one on the feeling old category is this. Gary Nicholas, son yeah. of Jack, just qualified for the US senior <laughs> open.
0: I saw that. Oh thought, my, my God! God. I, uh, I I covered uh, the Colonial when Jack won, so he would have been early 40s then. This was uh, like 82. He won the Masters 86. He was 46. He'd been up 42, and he would he was too young at the time for the senior story. Now his son is on it. Yeah, my but, kid,
1: my kid Gary was uh, He is screwing around on the putting green.
0: It, it, He did get. I think he got married like right out of college. So, so this, you know, this son was probably came along when he was in his early twenties.
1: Yeah. Well, good for Gary Nicholas, but that does hit home. Jack Nicholas's kid just just qualified for the Senior Open of all things. So,
0: yeah. Did you not want to hit Darnarian McCanns before we forget, or do you want to? No, no,
1: no. Let's do it. Let's go ahead. Uh, Andy found a little bit of ex-Redskin Kitchakana, and it involves former wide receiver Darnarian. McCants. That's his name, yeah. Darnierian. Don't wear it out. Yeah. Now, Darnierian became quite a flashpoint between Andy and I because he was not a very prolific NFL wide receiver and a little bit of a wayward shithead at times. Not a bad guy, but just a bit of a dummy. And it, ca- it, it came to a flashpoint between Andy and I about so-called homecoming weekend where they would invite anyone who played for the Redskins to come back and to walk Great. out on the field at halftime. And I saw the list one year and I said, wait a minute, Darnerian McCants is going to come back? Fuck him. He doesn't deserve to be on the list. And your take was essentially, hey, played for the Redskins. You got to invite them all.
0: Is that right? I have been, yes. Look, I've been to four high school reunions. We have them every 10 years. And I've been to one college reunion. And neither one of them did they say, Oh, well, you know, Bill was just a nerd who never joined any of the clubs and didn't play any sports. What's he doing here at the reunion? No, it's open for everybody. I know. If you went there.
1: But that's for a high school, Andy. This is a professional football team, and I, I thought that the team should have exercised discretion in inviting Honored ex Redskins back because then I quickly said, "So I guess you're fine with Hainsworth, that money stealing fat ass bag of shit. You want him back on Homecoming Day?" And I think you're like, no, I'd you're like, like, you're like, I'd well, like
0: to show up and and I would like to I'd boo like fans him. Fans to have have a one time only ability to throw eggs at him.
1: <laughs> well, all right. So now, what did you see about Darnierian McCants?
0: Well, he has, and I, I have a Facebook friend with him. That's how I found this. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> he uh, he has a football camp where he's going to teach kids how to play football. And it, it reminded me, I, my gym, some years ago, I saw a woman wearing a Kwame Brown basketball shirt.
1: Oh, and my thought, God. I
0: thought, would I want my kid to go to Kwame Brown basketball camp? Look, kids, when you're finished wearing a suit, pile it up in the corner. When you're hungry, only go to Popeye. Right, exactly.
1: Those two things, by yeah. the way, were in a very amazing Washington Post magazine piece about Kwame Brown and his rookie adjustment coming out of high school with the Wizards. It was yeah. written by Sally Jenkins, right?
0: Yeah, it a great it, piece. Yeah,
1: and basically uh, they, they chronicled how poor Kwame – he, he didn't know what he was doing in the pros, and so uh, they sent an advisor, yeah. the Wizards did, to go you know, see what his, his apartment was like, and they found his pile of suits, designer suits, in the corner of his apartment. They're like, what are these doing here? And he's like, I don't know what to do with them. I'm not, I don't think I'm supposed to wash them. They're like, yeah, you dumb fuck. You take them to the dry cleaner. <laughs> but the Yeah, port- you can wear them more than once. Right, you know? he was, his nutrition was terrible. He was eating fast food and Popeyes, almost three square meals a day. So they said they yeah. had to coach him up on that. Kwame aside, let me just address this with uh, Darnerian. I ain't got no beef with Darnarian. I mean, I I was just of the point that he was too inconsequential of a Redskin to invite back for homecoming. I had no real beef with him, and I, I don't think he was really involved in any malfeasance when he was a Redskin. No, not, but no. so so good. if and when this gets back to uh, Mr. McCants, um, you know, and no personal <laughs> feel hard feelings, Darnarian. And in in Darnarian's defense, he did make it to the NFL. Yes, that's not nothing. You know, he was there for parts
0: of three seasons.
1: Look, he he
0: played games. I know. If if I played games and I was invited, I would go.
1: Of course, you would, because you've realized there's a free shirt and a meal.
0: Well, I mean, look again to your point. How many guys get to play in the NFL? I I, know. I used to broadcast minor league football. All these guys at that time, this is early 80s, most of them had been to a camp, but only a handful of them had ever played in the NFL. It's hard to do.
1: All right, Andy, good stuff as always. We'll check in next week. Thank you, brother. All right, then. All right, we'll end on this. I could not be more geeked up for the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach this week. All these storylines are converging right now. Rory McIlroy was on 59 watch on Sunday. In fact, oh god, talk about bad preparation. Let me just make sure he didn't shoot 59 because I said he's on 59 watch. I saw this. Uh, my buddy Big Mike texted me 59 watch. Uh, no, he flirted with 59, but not. He didn't. He didn't, didn't end up with a 59. Okay. Rory wins the Canadian Open and great form heading into the U.S. Open, which he has already won once. You've got Tiger Woods at with success at pedal before and with a course that doesn't necessarily need his driver, which is not the best club in his bag. He's going to be a factor where, of course, he won the U.S. Open there by 13 shots at 15 under. Insane. You've got Brooks Kepka, who is going for a three-peat at the U.S. Open. That has never been done. I'm Ron Burgundy. I can't. Can't recall anyone who's won three straight U.S. Opens. And you got Phil Mickelson, who won at Pebble Beach earlier this year, going for the career Grand Slam. He's going to try to scratch that itch that he has had his whole career, that one last missing major that would elevate Phil to an even higher and and greater orbit in the golf pantheon. (laughs) Oh, and it's going to be on in prime time on the East Coast. Thank you. West Coast Major Championship Golf. To quote Bob Costas in the movie Basketball, you're excited, feel these nipples. So uh, if you don't like golf, I got news for you. Don't listen to any of my shows or the podcast this week because there'll be a good dose of golf, golf coverage. But then it'll die down, and then we only have one major left, which is the Open Championship, and nobody really listens to that, and it will be done. And then football will be here before you know it. But this is going to be a heavy dosage week when it comes to golf, and you are just going to have to take it and like it. But guess what? You're going to get your golf coverage you don't want early, early in the day, every morning, 4 a.m. Download the Zabecast app. It is so slick. It's so easy to use. It's well-designed. Kudos to the folks at Libsyn. That provided this app for us to use. We thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Download it. Subscribe to the Friday show as well. Get all five days. Don't settle for just four. It's only five bucks a month, and it really helps support the efforts here. And I appreciate everyone who does indeed subscribe. Email me with feedback, topics. Whatever you want. Jokes. Just no nudity, please. I don't need that in my inbox. Zabe at Yahoo.com. Hit me up on Twitter as well, at Zabe. Charlie Zulu, Alpha Bravo Echo. That'll be it for me today. Thanks for listening. Have a great Monday, and we will see you tomorrow.
0: dot com